Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Tuesday morning. Uh, it is, what am I doing here? It is not July 8th. That would be the day after my birthday. It is February 8th. <laughs> it's not indicated by my notes that I wrote down here. Quickly scribbling stuff down. Uh, February the 8th, 2022. And uh, it is 7.02 on your Tucson Tuesday. Welcome to the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. This is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And uh, a lot of uh, things to get into today. There were some results last night in Tempe that were obviously pleasing to Wildcat fans and displeasing to Sun Devil fans. And uh, we will definitely have some discussion about what was seen and heard and everything that happened uh, at the uh, at the what, whatever they're calling that dump of an arena that they play basketball in nowadays. And uh, we call it McHale North, um, you know, really is kind of basically what it turns into. I remember back in the day uh, I went to a game there. I think it was, God, I want to say it was like late 80s, maybe like 88 or so, 89, somewhere around there, somewhere in there. I was like 12 or 13 years old. And (laughs) I started a chant. We were up by, I think, 15 or 16, I think, at that point. And uh, I started a chant. I just said, this is our house. And started clapping, and all of a sudden, like, it went off. It was a swell. And the entire place was chanting, this is our house, and clapping. And so every time I go now, I have to start the this is our house chant as soon as we get up by you know, 13, 14, 15 points, and we're rolling, and no looking back. And that basically happened last night. Now, ASU came out and full-on Superman punched the Wildcats right in the face to start that game. The first four minutes were a complete disaster for Arizona basketball. And and I mean on an entirety level, much like the game against Tennessee. And there were multiple turnovers. There were missed shots. There was a missed layup. They were giving up three balls. They were turning over the ball at midcourt. I mean, it was as ugly as it gets. It was 14-1. to Arizona had even yet to score a field goal in the game. Arizona State had made three three-pointers in the game to that point. And they were just – they just came out, and I, I was shocked um, because I kind of expected I, – I expected ASU to start slow, to be honest with you, because of the emotional game that they went through, that gauntlet that they went through on Saturday night, and the triple overtime win over then three-ranked UCLA – where the fans stormed the court and the players, I'm sure, were having a good old time, the you know following the game and stuff. And there was you know there was a joke on on Twitter that the ASU players will still be hung over by the time the game tips off Monday night, which is probably a very considerable thing when you uh, consider their record and how they've been playing this year and basically their outlook on a uh, on any kind of a postseason bid, whether it be I mean the NCAA's are out, the NIT is out at this point. So, you know, it's not like they're going to be going to any kind of a postseason tournament. So why not party it up after you beat UCLA in triple overtime in front of your home home crowd? But nonetheless, I give them all the credit in the world for coming out and riding that emotional wave through the first five minutes of that game against Arizona last night. Tommy Lloyd, 
obviously angered by his team's effort to start the game, calls timeout and is just lighting up the bench. I mean, just lighting them up. Uh, he went after Kerr. He went after Dalen. He went after Ben. He challenged everybody. He brings Umar Balo in the game and says, change the game for us, big fella. And that's kind of where it all began. And I'm not saying that he, you know, he's a savior or anything like that, but things turned around at that point. Arizona needed itself a little reset in the game, got smacked around for the first five minutes pretty damn good. And then from there, it was all Arizona. And I mean all Arizona, except for the final minute of that game, which was a joke. And I, I not even, I'm not even exactly sure what happened in the final minute of that game to go from 21 to 12 points in 44 seconds. Um, <laughs> And there's basketball for you, I guess. But nonetheless, uh, the Wildcats come away with a victory, 91-79. They reached the 20-win mark uh, for the season. They are now 20-2, and 10-1 in the conference, and in firm grip of first place in the Pac-12 with an upcoming road trip to Washington, which we will obviously preview coming up in the, uh, in the, in the, over the next couple of days as they get ready to set off for uh it'll be uh it'll be the uh the the Palouse first so Pullman and it'll be nice for Tommy to get back home to Spokane because uh, you know if if you're not familiar with the road trip where Arizona stays and they've been doing this since the Lute Olson era because uh Lute you know listen as as you know great of a of a basketball coach he was he liked to live a, a finer life, certainly one than you could get uh, in the 80s in Pullman, Washington. That's for damn sure. <laughs> so he liked to stay at a very nice hotel in Spokane. I love Spokane. The city of Spokane is a great little city. Um, I enjoyed it every time we went there when I was traveling with the team and uh, enjoyed the Davenport Hotel. It's one of my favorite places to stay in the entire country. I've even gone back and vacationed to Spokane just to stay in the Davenport, go to Coeur d'Alene stuff because it's about 50 miles from Coeur d'Alene. Beautiful place. If you've never been, I highly recommend. Um, But I digress. So Arizona doesn't stay in Pullman like other teams do. They stay in Spokane, which means that they have about an hour and 10, hour and 15, hour and 20-minute drive, depending on the weather, to uh, to Pullman, to Washington State's campus for the game, and through what I call the uh, the Blair Witch Project, because that's kind of what that's that's kind of what Eastern Washington looks like. It's just like the kind of dead grass, rolling hills, and dead dark trees, and dark skies, and just darkness and and sadness everywhere. I just call it the Blair Witch Project. That's um, <laughs> just kind of what it reminds me of, uh, but. So they, they stay there, so it's, it's kind of a different road trip. So they'll go to Spokane on Wednesday, um, and it'll be good for Tommy Lloyd to get back home to where he spent the previous 20 years uh, coaching at Gonzaga with Mark Few. So it'll be good for them to get back there, and I'm sure they'll have a nice little homecoming, and they'll go and practice at the kennel on campus there like they always do, and then travel to Pullman, and then before they, uh, before they get on an airplane and head, up to, uh, head over to Seattle for the game against the Huskies on Saturday. So, you know, you know, we've talked about the schedule so far, and we'll get into that a little bit. But last night's game, just specifically, I, I don't want to talk too much about last night's game. I think we all felt like Arizona, I mean, even Tommy Lloyd said after the game, he, he knew that his team could win that game by 20 points. It was, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a question of whether Arizona's the better team. It's just how much are they going to beat Arizona State by in, in a season like this when the two teams are so drastically different in style, in 
efficiency, in, uh, you know, just ability overall, athleticism, size, everything. So, <clears throat> so it wasn't a question of, of you know, whether Arizona's going to that game. It's just how they were going to do it and how much, you know, by how much. And it was a team effort. I give credit to, to everybody that, uh, that got minutes last night. It seemed like everybody had their moments, whether it was Justin Kyer coming off the bench to kind of calm things down and get a couple of, of buckets that Arizona so valuably needed um, at those times, you know, a mid-range jumper, a floater, you know, things like that, and able to run the offense from a, a point guard perspective. It looked, you know, I give, I give a lot of credit to Justin Kyer. He came here knowing that he was just going to be upgrading in in school you know because he came from Georgia and you know where you know finishing 500 is considered a, a good thing and they don't care about basketball in Athens Georgia they really don't um it's a it's a football school period end of story he knew he was upgrading in in program um and just wasn't exactly sure of of what that was going to look like you know Justin Kyer has not played point guard he did distribute some offense during his time at Georgia, but he was mostly the off guard there. He was the two man. And here he's been asked to come off the bench and spell Kirk Creesa and be the point guard for this basketball team. And and I can't say enough about the job that he has done embracing that role in a job that he probably hasn't had since high school. And I am, uh, I am thoroughly impressed with his maturity, his experience, his, calmness, his ability to fire up his teammates in certain aspects, and to do it under the control of a, you know what is considered a safe basketball player, somebody who's not going to turn the ball over, somebody who's not going to get crazy with the ball. Uh, and it, it's, it's a nice calming influence on the offense. And defensively, he does a fine job as well. He knows his assignments. He pays attention. You can tell he's well schooled in the in the classroom. He focuses uh, on you know on on the plays at hand and, and the the task at hand. And I think he does a fine job. And I thought that his presence last night was much needed for Arizona. Then you got Pella Larson, who came in and look. You know, I think there's some people who have been disappointed by his shooting percentage this year, and I can understand that. He came in from you know Utah, where he was known as a sniper. I mean, he basically would just come in and just shoot threes, and he was hunting threes, and that was his job. Pella's job here with Tommy Lloyd's team is very, very different. He got into the weight room with Chris Rounds. He put on ten to twelve pounds of muscle. You can tell. You know, he's a much bigger, thicker, uh, stronger player, and he's got a lot more meat to him. And he's able to go in there and play the power forward, the fourth position, the five position in certain instances when, you know, when, when Tubelis was out and when Coloco was in foul trouble to spell Umar Balo. He was playing the five at some points when Arizona goes really small, super small, um, with that lineup every once in a while. Um, you know, and his role has changed here. So he is being dependent on more uh, as a rebounder, someone who's going to play the inside, specifically on defense. And if he finds himself open for a three, which he did on several occasions last night, you can tell – Arizona State was really intent on not getting dunked on about 30 times in that game because as soon as any kind of a pick and roll occurred, they would dive into the paint. And, I mean, it was happening over and over again. There was there was one point Pella didn't even get the ball from, uh, from I think it was, I think it was from, uh, from Balo. He, he had the ball to begin with. Balo just kind of ran, uh, you know, a, kind of a mock screen. Pella kind of backed off of it. And then Balo started heading back into the paint, and both ASU defenders just crashed into the paint to double Balo to to you know essentially stop the the inlet pass, 
and they just left Pella standing out there by himself. Like, everybody just vacated the area. They're like, nope, we're backing off. And I'm like, okay. And he took the shot, and he drained it, of course. And that's what you're supposed to do. you got to make teams pay when they do silly stuff like that. So uh, Pella Larson, he was, he was you know, great off the bench last night, super, super efficient, um, and really like where he's at and the, con- the contributions he's making to this team. And, of course, you know, what, can you, what can't you say about Umar Balo? Another double-double for the Big O. 13 points last night, uh, went in there and played a physical brand of basketball, was uh, was really not giving up any ground to ASU's bigs or to anybody who came in to the paint, and he owned it. And, uh, you know, I got a message from somebody within the ASU program, somebody who I'm, I'm, I'm very close with, someone within the ASU program, not Kyle Dodd, not their not – their, their uh, color analyst, whom I know Arizona fans just love to get after, uh, and rightfully so. Um, somebody within their program who knows the team very well, is very well-versed in the world of college basketball, he told me that that uh, having a guy like Umar Balo on your bench is completely unfair because he's the starting center for 90% of the college the college basketball teams in America today. Like he's If, if he's on 90% of the rosters in the country, he's the starting center. And he's absolutely right. I mean, and he probably would start for other, you know, for other ranked teams that are out there. I'm sure there there are teams out there that are ranked, uh, you know, just off the top of my head. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, a couple of teams that he would probably start for. I mean, there's a chance that he might start for a team like, like, a, like a Villanova who doesn't have that type of a presence, you know, that could use that type of a guy. Um, it's, it's, it's remarkable to have someone of, of his ability and his size and his talent and his demeanor coming off the bench like that and has just been huge for Arizona. It's been a real shot in the arm for Tommy Lloyd to see his development since he got here. You know, we saw, we saw Umar in the, you know, in the red blue game early on. That was our first look at him, uh, as far as Wildcat fans go, because, you know, he's been in Spokane the last couple of years. He's been backing up back-to-back All-Americans at that at that position. So it was like one All-American starter followed by an All-American bench player. Like he wasn't getting <laughs> there's no PT for him there. Um, you know, we saw him. We got here. We're like, that's a big boy. You know, he's 270, 275. He slimmed down. He's running the floor now, and he's still able to play with that physicality that we expect out of a guy that size and and that with you know with that type of game. And he has completely changed the look of this basketball team. And then, of course, you got your starting five who just, you know, they, they again, they got punched in the mouth last night, but they continue to do all of their things well. Benedict Matherin was extremely efficient last night, shooting the ball, getting some deep threes uh, mixed in. Kerr, once he settled down and, you know, had a few turnovers early, once he settled down, things were looking a lot better for him. And I know that Kerr likes to likes to push the tempo, and Arizona is not the same team without Kerr Creesa. They, they are not – anywhere near the same team without him uh, at the point. If, if they don't have Kirk Creesa this year, uh, Arizona looks looks drastically different than they do right now. Uh, I don't have any problem with the way Kerr plays. I really don't. Uh, there are certain times where you, you, can just, you can just tell the shot is really, really close. He's, he's almost dialed in, and he's so close to getting on one of those hot streaks, and he's a heat check guy, and that's okay. Shoot or shoot, score or score. That's, that's, what, that's what you got to do. And for a guy like Kerr, Tommy wants him. Tommy has a lot of confidence in Kerr and wants him to shoot the ball. Um, so I have no problem with the way with the way Kerr is uh, is handling the uh, the offense and the point guard duties for Arizona this year. And then 
I, I, you know, Dalen was fantastic again last night. You knew he had something to prove back in Phoenix. He always wants to he always wants to prove himself in front of the in front of the home crowd and things like that. So Dalen was his usual self. Um, but Azula Stabellis, I, I, I know that I talk about him a lot on this show, especially when we're talking, you know, recently uh, talking Arizona basketball. But the guy is just, he's just so good. And I know that we are just, we are, we're not even, we're not even to the surface of, of what his ability and capabilities are. Like, you just, you can just tell, like, you can just, you you just, you just know. Um, For me, you know, two years ago, when we were looking at the three incoming freshmen that that were coming in for, for Arizona, when it was, uh, you know, when it was uh, Nico and Josh and, and uh, Zeke. And, you know, I'm looking at, at the three. And, you know, we, a lot of us didn't know who Zeke was. And then he kind of came on and was obviously winning Pac-12 Player of the Week and things like that. And he dominated for, for Arizona for, you know, several, several weeks uh, throughout that season. But to me, I was always like, Josh Green is the guy. Like, there's that kid has got something in him. There is something in his game that is just so raw and so ready to emerge that, I know that Nico was the higher-rated uh, recruit, that Zeke performed better of the three freshmen that were on the court during that season, but to me it was always about Josh Green. He was always going to be the best player of those three. And and we're starting to see that now in the NBA. He's getting considerable minutes in Dallas. <clears throat> they're, pl- they're playing him alongside Luka Doncic a lot in that lineup, and we're seeing that. And and the same thing is going to happen to Azulis Tabellas. I mean, you know, we, we talk about Ben Matherin as a potential All-American. Christian Coloco is having the, the season of his life and is rapidly moving up NBA draft boards. Um, and, there, you know, there are other pieces to this team. But to me, when I, when I watch Azulis Tabellas play, I just think to myself, that kid has a long, a long professional career ahead of him wherever he decides he wants to play. You know, if he wants to go back and play overseas, then, you know, he's obviously welcome to do that. If he wants to go into the NBA, the sky's the limit for that young man. And he is just, he's so good. He's, he's quick, he's fast, he's strong, he's efficient, he can, be, uh, he can be a finesse player, he can play with power. You just, and, and you know, he, he doesn't shoot as many threes, even though he's fully capable of shooting the three ball. He doesn't shoot a lot of them because he would rather get his teammates involved and not be a ball hog. You know, Zoo likes to score from down low because it's easy for him because he dominates. He, he, I mean, he dominates everybody he plays against. Uh, and you just watch him play and you're like, look, I would have conversations with, you know, with the coaching staff, with the previous coaching staff, and we would talk about certain players. And, and you would say, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't need to be here. He doesn't need to be in college. The one and done rule that the you know the NBA has instituted on the NCAA is is silly for people like Lowry Markkinen, for people like DeAndre Ayton. That that just there's no reason for them to be in college. They're just dominating everybody that they play against. There's no there's no way to match up against guys like that. They should be in the NBA able to make their money right out of high school. Uh, and and Azulis isn't that way, but he's become that way. Like you watch him just. Just if if you just spend like spend a four minute section of time, so, uh, just watch Arizona for four minutes and just watch Azulas Tabellas. <laughs> it's like on both ends of the floor. Whoever is whoever is stuck with him on both ends of the floor is they're they're helpless. They're completely helpless unless it's another 
you know, all American, you know, all conference performer. There's just there's there's no match there. It's they're completely overmatched. It's it's unbelievable just how good he is and how how well he's developed over time. And and that's that's the secret to this Arizona team this year is these guys are all maturing at the right time. We knew that they were that they were talented. I heard coaches last year talking about this Arizona team saying, you know, they're a they're a tournament worthy team and they could you know, they could be a team that scares somebody in the tournament, but watch out for that team next year. I heard three different coaches say that about Arizona last year and they couldn't have been more right. This Arizona team has matured at the right time. They're getting the the right experience. They're playing now in a system that is uh, you know, assisting in their level of excitement, if you will, and they're garnering a lot of eyeballs from across the country, not just because of how good they are, not just because of how not just because of the style that they play, not because we have a rookie head coach that is now 20 and 2 on the season, but because it's Arizona brand of basketball. It is a brand that was developed and nurtured by Lute Olson and handed off to Sean Miller, who then developed and nurtured it even further and is now in the in the hands of Tommy Lloyd, whom in the first 22 games of his tenure, I would think that Wildcat fans are now agreeing that this is, this was a home run hire for Dave Hickey and for the uh, for the Wildcats to bring in Tommy Lloyd to this program, who has developed this team into uh, what many people are saying is a Final Four caliber team. Now, I, I want to caution people before we start talking about that, because <clears throat> I don't allow yourself to be set up by Arizona State fans, okay? I heard this from three separate Arizona State fans last night, three of them. They, call them fans, whatever. They're people that are working, you know, or in and around the team or in the media or something like that, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but they are fans of Arizona State nonetheless. And all three of them said, man – if you guys don't make the Final Four, it's going to be a massive failure. And look, <clears throat> I understand that Arizona State fans are authorities on when it comes to failures. I get that, and, and they fully understand what a failure looks like. But do not set up this team that way. Because my challenge to each of those persons was, when was the last time the four best teams in the country – actually made it into the final four when was the last time that happened and and all of them were like okay you know you can see the the gears grinding and they're like well uh, uh, okay it's happened once where all four number one seeds have advanced into the final four one time in the history of the tournament it's happened and i think a lot of people would even argue that maybe those weren't even the four best teams there was a two seed that year uh that was a pretty darn good team that had only lost two games but because they played in the smaller league they uh they they weren't they didn't get a number one seed regardless i caution arizona fans for falling into that trap getting into a final four is a very unique experience it's a it's an experience it's it's a it's a a road an adventure that requires a little bit of luck a lot of matchups uh you know going your going your way and it takes great focus skill determination uh, endurance. I mean, all these things. And Arizona is about to go on a gauntlet once again of scheduling because of all these other things that happened previous in the year that were out of their control. We'll talk about the new upcoming schedule because that USC game has been rescheduled. 
and we'll talk about what Arizona's schedule looks like for the remainder of the season and how that's going to affect this team going into the postseason next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Stay tuned because at some point during the show today, I have some uh, women's basketball tickets to give away as they get their shot at Arizona State from that school from up north. They're going to be hosting the Sun Devils at noon at the McHale Center on Sunday. I have some tickets to give away. Be listening for your cue to call for that. That could happen anytime in the next hour and 25 minutes. So be listening for that. Uh, thanks to our own Justin Spears, whom you can hear every weekday here from 3 to 6 p.m. on Spears and Ali, uh, for putting this little snippet in his, um, in his article from last night's win in Tempe. Uh, 105 is the big number, he says. It's the all-time Pac-12 player of the week selections for Arizona, which leads the Pac-12 by a long shot as they received their 105th Pac-12 PO dub selection yesterday when Azulis Tabellis was named the Pac-12 player of the week for his combined effort uh, against the L.A. schools in the McHale Center, both against UCLA and USC. He was huge. Uh, and continues that role, that string of double-doubles. He had 19 and 11 last night in Tempe. And depending on what happens against Wazoo in Seattle, he could get back-to-back P.O. dubs for the Pac-12 because starting off 19 and 11 in your first game in a road game uh, is pretty darn good. So we'll continue to see there. UCLA second all-time with only 82. I should, I should say only 82. That's a lot. Uh, but there's still 23 selections behind Arizona. Surprisingly, Cal is third on the list. You've had some pretty good players over the years at Cal. Just haven't put together any real deep tournament runs. They just can't put together any consistency. But they have 62 Pac-12 Player of the Week selections, then followed by Oregon State and Stanford to round out the top five. Um, so, you know, Arizona gets the dub last night. You know, no surprise there, obviously. Get punched in the mouth early go on to uh, to win that game. They really it was it was a couple of runs that they went on. They, they had to go on a run to get back in the game in the first 5 minutes, at, you know, after the first 5 minutes they got uh completely just boat raced uh out the gate. They had to reel Arizona State back in and it didn't take them long. It took about three and a half minutes to draw even with Arizona State because right around the 11 and a half minute mark I think the game ended up being tied. Um so it took about three and a half minutes there. Then it took Arizona about three and a half minutes to open the second half to put the game away when they went on that huge run to open the second half, dunk after dunk after dunk after fast break after fast break after fast break. When this team is clicking, it is flat-out scary what they can do to the opponent. Like it, it, is, it is just straight scare tactic what they can do when they go on a run like that. So – um, you know, the, and that's what, look, that's what the game of college basketball is. It's, it's a game of, it's a game of runs. And, you know, Sean Miller used to break the game down into four minute wars. It's the, the game of college basketball is broken down into 10, four minute wars. You got to win every four minute war and you have to go on a run, you know, whether it be, a, you know, a six Oh run or a seven, two run or something like that somewhere in there to make sure that you can secure to win each of those wars, each of those four minute wars. Um, and Arizona doesn't just go on, you know, six zero runs or seven two runs. Arizona goes on like 
14-2 runs and 17-3 runs and stuff where they can just rattle off, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 points in the span of four minutes, which is – that is a for – a, for an opposing coach that's watching the film on Arizona that is trying to figure out what it takes to beat uh, the Wildcats this year. You watch that kind of stuff and you're like, I, I don't know what – I don't know what we're going to do. You got – you got seven footers dunking the ball. You got point guards making behind the back passes. You got everybody on you know on the court except for uh, the seven footers shooting three balls. You got guys who you know can can dash to the basket. Everyone on the team is a is a good free throw shooter. Even though early lately early, early in games, the last few games they've been bad, but they've they've hunkered down in the in the second half and shot better from the free throw line. Um, the 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 motion of the offense without the basketball is at an exceptional level. Like I just I, from a from a coach's standpoint, somebody who you know has studied the game a lot. Not I've never coached it, obviously, um, but from someone who studies it and watches the game as if I were game planning against a team, I would be pulling whatever hair out that I that I have, you know. Just trying to figure out how to stop Arizona because it's just they just beat you in so many ways. And here's the most impressive thing about it. And we'll start looking into the Ken Palm rankings and stuff because I have some interesting numbers to look ahead uh, at Arizona. You know, it's not Arizona's offense. Arizona's not even the top ten in the country offensively as far as efficiency according to Ken Palm. They're number eleven, which is still great, uh, obviously, out of three hundred and fifty-five teams or whatever that he that he ranks. Where Arizona is really elite is defensively. They're the number eight team in the country on defense, and it, it, that's what that is what is so remarkable about this basketball team is. You've got guys who were recruited by Sean Miller, and Sean Miller didn't recruit guys that didn't want to play defense. Every once in a while he would, but for the most part, guys that that Sean recruited were players that are willing on playing defense like they they're not just you know Ole guys he doesn't recruit guys like James Harden that kind of stuff uh he's like you're gonna come here you're gonna play defense so all these guys have a background in wanting to play defense and at the at the pace that they're playing right now and the the style of offense they're playing you would expect them to just kind of be focusing on offense but they're really focusing on defense that's what makes this team so good that's what allows Arizona to go on those 17 to 3 runs, the 14 to 2 runs because they get stops. Look at what happened at the end of the USC game on Saturday. It was because they shut USC down in the final 7 minutes of that game or one of 15 in the final 7 minutes of that game because Arizona locked them down on defense. And when you get that going for you and you have confidence in your ability to stop teams and get stops in big moments, that's when you become a deep run playoff team. And that's what Arizona is right now. And I don't want to sit here and say Final Four. I'm not going to use those words because we're not there yet. We don't know what their seating looks like. We don't know what the road to the Final Four looks like. We, we, we just don't know. There's a long ways to go. But I can tell you that what this team is made up of is a team that looks like a deep-run team in the tournament. That's, where I'll, that's what I'll say. All right, coming up after the break here, again, uh, Arizona's schedule as we look ahead, and also some interesting numbers when you open up Ken Palm's rankings and things like that, where Arizona ranks among the top teams in the country. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 
All right, so what does Arizona's schedule look like now for the remainder of the season? Because the USC game has now been inserted, the road game that was missed prior uh, to, you know, I mean, the, you know, back when Arizona was scheduled to play at UCLA at USC in that weekend. We've made up the UCLA game. Uh, that resulted in a loss. It was a Tuesday game after a NorCal road trip. Well, this time it's going to be a Tuesday game following the Rocky Mountain road trip. I don't know. Like I, I'm, when I saw yesterday when I when I when I got the email stating that the game had been rescheduled for March first, I immediately thought to myself, "Oh, great! So Arizona gets to go on the long road trip, the Rocky Mountain road trip, which is not easy. I mean, it's a it's a two state road trip. They play at Utah on Thursday night, then they play at Colorado Saturday. I think it's I think that game might be like a five o'clock start. It's kind of a weird start time." <clears throat> Then they're going to fly from Boulder probably to Los Angeles. They're probably just going to stay in Los Angeles because I, I, don't, I don't know if, they're, if they would come home, park the jet for a day, and then get back on it, <laughs> you know, it just you, you, financial-wise and such, it doesn't make sense. So most likely Arizona will just go ahead and go to Los Angeles, probably to Santa Monica, stay in, in Santa Monica somewhere. Um, and will likely end up staying and, and doing basically the same thing they did before the UCLA game. I don't like it. Um, the the you know the pre the, the previous road trip against the Rocky Mountain schools is always tough. That that is, you ask any coach any player that is a really really difficult road trip. Even though, even if the teams aren't any good, uh, it's a difficult road trip because. You're, you're, there's a lot of travel in between. That flight between Salt Lake and Boulder is a lot longer than you would expect. Trust me. <laughs> Been on that flight three times. It is a lot, long, a lot longer than you would expect. Not to mention, playing in Boulder is always taxing. You're up mile high. It's a very different experience. Colorado always plays well at home. You look at their home record. They are Their winning percentage at home is well above their average winning percentage as a team over the last 20 years. Like, it, it's a remarkable number. Like, it's one of the most staggering numbers to look at in all of college basketball. Their home court advantage is insanely good. Um, and then to come home, the, I would have rather they played on a Monday than on a Tuesday because then they got to come home after playing at USC on Tuesday night and get ready for Stanford in essentially 36 hours and then play Stanford and Cal back-to-back at home before heading off to Vegas for the Vegas tournament. Like, I just, I'm not happy about it, and I'm not complaining, okay? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm close to, but it's not going to do me any good to, so I might as well just not. Um, but for for Arizona, and, and I mentioned this in my tweet yesterday, it's, it's <laughs> I don't want to say unfair. Life isn't fair. I get it. The the Wildcats have done everything right in regards to their COVID protocols, keeping the players and the community safe and healthy. They've done everything the right way. They're one of the few, and when I say few, I mean single-digit numbers in the country that have not had to go on any kind of a COVID pause over the last two years, two seasons, we'll just call it. Because you know, because of uh, because of any type of a COVID outbreak or anything, there have been schools with multiple. Looking at you, school from up north, multiple 
outbreaks of, of COVID. Uh, Arizona hasn't had one. They continue to have games canceled on them and then are rescheduled into this cockamamie schedule that the Pac-12 deems to be fair. Uh, I, again, I, I don't like it. I don't like what Arizona's being forced to do in having to play those final, you know, they're going to be playing nine games essentially in 20, was it 26 days? I think nine games in 20, yeah, nine games in 26 days is what, is what, the, what my math tells me. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, no, 25 days. Sorry, 25. Uh, February is a shorter month, obviously. Uh, nine games in 25 days. That's, that's less than three days between each game. Like, that's, that's not the way the structure of the sport works. You're usually five days off, and then you go game, off, game, five days off, game, off, game, six days off, game, four days off, game, off, game. I mean, that's the way, that's the, way the schedule works. Arizona's going to be game off game, off off game, off game, off game. It's 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 just it's it's frustrating because these are not pauses that were caused by Arizona's program. Arizona's being forced to do this because other schools couldn't handle the situation the same way to the same level that Arizona handled theirs. And now Arizona's being forced to play this schedule. And it's a tough schedule. Look, it's like this is not going to be easy. At the Washington schools, gonna be tough. Washington State's on a roll right now. They're playing really good basketball. They're a very good defensive team. They're extremely well coached, and they have four guys, all four guys who can score um, at the basket or away from the basket. They've got a bunch of a bunch of duality type players. That's a good team. Like they're they're number thirty three in the Ken Palm. That's a that's a good basketball team. If Arizona can get that win in Pullman on Thursday, that's a quad one win. Then they're going to play in Seattle against the Huskies. We know that the crowd is going to be up for that. The, the crowd in Seattle always shows up for the Arizona game. The fans, the, the student section is right behind the Arizona bench. And I mean right behind it. We're talking three feet behind the Arizona bench. I know because I had kids screaming in my ear while I'm on the radio. <laughs> right behind my head. I hated it. I'm one of those people that I, like if I go into a restaurant I have to sit with my back to a wall. I can't sit with my back to the door. I can't sit with my back to the open space like that. I, I get uneasy feelings. Um, so sitting with my back to the student section, I was always worried. Of course, you know, the worst thoughts going through my head. Some kid's going to spill something on my head or they're going to shout something into my microphone or something, you know, and get me in trouble. Uh, that's a tough game, and Washington is playing much, much better basketball right now. Plus, you have to you have to contend with Terrell Brown, whom we saw earlier in Tucson. Arizona was, you know, obviously able to get the win uh, and you know beat them handily. But Terrell Brown is leading the Pac-12 in scoring and is uh, seemingly on a mission to complete this season as the Pac-12's leading scorer in his final season, his eighth year in college basketball. Then they come home to play the Oregon schools. Obviously, Oregon State just having a horrible season. Um, that game is, you know, whatever. They're in the mid-200s in Ken Palm. But then you got Oregon coming to town, and you only get to play them once, and hopefully Oregon continues to win. If they can get into the top 50 of the net, that will be, uh, you know, that'll be nice. If they can get into the top 30, you know, that's the only way that'll be a quad one win for Arizona if they can get the win over Dana Altman and the Ducks. It's a tough game. Then, as I mentioned, the road game in the Rockies, uh, the road trip in the Rockies, followed by a game at USC, and then home to play Stanford and Cal. That is a grueling task. Arizona is right now 20-2. and two. I know that they'll be favored in probably every single one of those games. I can't think of a game that they wouldn't be favored in. 
um, unless they stumble against some team, or you know, before they get to USC or something like that. But they'll be favored to win in, in, in all those games. I would be surprised if they if they finish out the season on a winning streak. The, something will happen somewhere. Scheduling, tiredness, lethargy, whatever have you, they'll they'll get beat by one of those teams. One of those teams will beat them, and it's okay. It's not it's not the end of the world. Um, if Arizona finishes the regular season twenty seven and three, everyone in Tucson and across the country and, and across the globe that wears Cardinal and Navy would have signed off on that without any questions. Oh, who did we? Who are our three losses to? Don't care. Twenty seven and three. I'll take it. Twenty seven and three gets us a top a top two seed in the in the in the NCAA tournament. Where, where do I sign? How quickly can I do this? Do you need it in blood? I'll do that if you need to. Twenty-seven and three. <laughs> Jeez, seven, I mean that would be eighteen and two in conference. Yeah, I'll take it. So, be happy with that, and uh, we'll continue to watch for that. Uh, again, have some interesting RPI notes. Not RPI notes. Ken Palm notes that I may uh, may get to today, may not get to today. May have to stall that till tomorrow because we have other things I want to talk about. I want to talk NBA. I got NFL to talk about. Tom Brady said never say never on his podcast yesterday. Oh my God, what's happening? And Kyler, Kyler Murray, Scrubs, everything, every trace of the Arizona Cardinals from his Instagram account. Stay tuned. More after this on the Jeff Dean Show. Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Jeff Dean Show here. Still uh, about an hour, well, specifically an hour and two minutes to go. And within those hour and two minutes, I'll be giving away a pair of women's basketball tickets to go see Adia Barnes and the women's basketball team take on Arizona State on Sunday at noon at the McHale Center. So be listening for your cue to call on that. Coming up in hour number two, have some NFL to discuss because a couple of quarterbacks, one, I guess, potentially on his way out the door, said on his podcast yesterday, maybe not so fast, and another quarterback may be soon out the door. I will offer my opinions on what happened with the Kyler Murray scrub of Instagram yesterday and what it means for the Arizona Cardinals, what it means for football fans, what it means for Kyler Murray. Um, so we'll talk about that coming up in hour number two. The Suns opened up the floodgates early last night in Chicago uh, as the, the Bulls had uh, Zach Levine back after having some back spasms and after being out uh, some of the previous games even before that. Uh, with a uh, with a, a minor leg injury, but uh, it wasn't enough <clears throat> for the uh, for the Bulls. Even though they made a furious comeback at the end, Arizona the uh, Phoenix Suns outlast the Bulls one twenty seven to one twenty four in Chicago. Suns have to quickly turn around and travel uh, last night, heading into Philadelphia where they'll take on the seventy sixers. Joel Embiid waiting for them there. Always. I always in, enjoyable to watch the matchups between Embiid and DeAndre Ayton because Embiid clowned on DeAndre coming out of the draft. I mean, basically just started picking on DeAndre for no reason. DeAndre didn't say anything about Joel Embiid. I know that DeAndre Ayton looks up to Joel Embiid and aspires to be the great player that Joel Embiid is. And for some reason, Joel Embiid was, I mean, just started clowning and trolling DeAndre Ayton from day one. 
um, in regards to the NBA draft and all this other stuff. And he said being number one is a joke. He's not, you know, half the player, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and has been picking on him, really. I mean, being a bully of DeAndre Ayton. So it'll be interesting to see if DeAndre fights back on the court tonight. DeAndre's not much of a talker. We know that. Um, he's certainly not much of a, a troll, a trash talker, any, any kind of that stuff. Um, so we'll see if uh, if DeAndre fights back a little bit tonight, if he gears up for that game against Joel Embiid and the Sixers. But uh, it was a huge game for Devin Booker last night. Had 22 points in the first half, finished with 38. Huge game for Book, showing that uh, he is one of the best players in the NBA. And, of course, CP3, one of the best players of all time. Which brings me to something that we may get into today or may have to table for another day. It's the Athletic is counting down their top 75 NBA players of all time. And I've already gotten my hairs in a ruffle over it. We'll talk about that maybe today. It's a quick two-minute turnaround here to hour number two. Stay tuned. Plenty of NFL talk to discuss and more right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Casino Del Sol Studio, the soul of Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tanka Verde. KMXZ HD4 Tucson.